Good morning. That was a good response. Good to, good to be here. Got a question for you to start off with. Who here, if they could change something about themselves, would make that change? See a show of hands. I see about half the hands up, so the rest of you are liars, right? <laughs> Just kidding. If you are really satisfied with yourself, that's a good thing, and I mean that. But the, the consistent research shows that most people in America would like to change something about themselves. And my guess is, when I ask that question, most of you thought of a physical characteristic. I know that's what I thought of the first time I heard that question. You know, I'd like to be a little taller, a little broader shoulders. You know, I've got a whole long list, right? But what if I asked you if there's a character quality something about your personality you would like to change. What might you think of? Maybe you'd like to be a little more patient, a little more outgoing, um, less critical, more positive. Well, again, Gallup has done research, and over 90% of the people in the United States would like to get better at something, would like to grow, would like to make a change. 65% of the people in the United States would like to lose weight. Over 70% would like to have a better marriage, even people who have a good marriage. Over 80% would like to be better parents. And I think that general uh, drive within people, that innate desire to grow, I think has fueled the self-help industry. It's one of the fastest growing industries in the United States. When you take the sales from books and infomercials and, and seminars and things like that, it's a tremendous productive area of our economy. And it's all about change. Well, today we're going to be talking about change here at Rock Hills. Internal change, personal change. But please, seriously, listen to me for just a minute. This is not going to be a self-help message. That's not what we do here at Rock Hills. What we believe is that the God of the universe has revealed himself, that he has spoken through prophets and apostles, and they recorded that revelation in this book we call the Bible. And so when you come to Rock Hills, you don't need to hear what some scientist in the secular culture says or what some psychologist says. You don't need to hear what Al Hasler thinks. What we are going to do each and every Sunday is open the word of God and teach biblical principles. And we're going to teach biblical principles for change today. And so with that, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, I am grateful for your word and for the revelation within it. And because you have revealed yourself, it it strikes me so strongly at this moment that my friends here, they don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And so, Father, please, would you speak and let me get out of the way so that your word and your truth can go forth and accomplish what you desire in the people of Rock Hills. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, what we are doing when we teach the Word of God is exactly what Paul wrote to Timothy about. And this is recorded in 1 Timothy. He's trying to tell Timothy how he should organize and run his church. And what he says to Timothy at uh, 1 Timothy 4.13, and I think we have that scripture, and you're always welcome to follow along in your, in your Bible, is he says this, 
until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. And that's why we do what we do. And so when we teach from the Word of God, we have the Scripture on the screen. We, we invite you to read it and to, and to recognize that this is the revelation of God. And, and what we're going through right now is a series called I Love Rock Hills. And what we're doing in this series, this four-part series, is we are giving you an idea, an insight into who we are and where we are going. And this is so important for any organization, any group of people. One of my favorite books in the world is Alice in Wonderland. And there's this moment in Alice in Wonderland when she's kind of wandering confused through Wonderland, and she comes on the Cheshire Cat, and she goes, please, sir, can you tell me which way I should go? And he says, well, that all depends on where you're trying to get to. And she says, well, I'm not really sure. And he smiles, and he says, well, I guess it doesn't really matter which way you go then, does it? And that is a metaphor for the human condition. Without vision, without direction, without an idea where we're going, we're just sort of wandering around. And so if you've been here at Rock Hills, we've only been around a few years. What we're doing in this series is reminding you. We're casting vision for who we are and where we're going. And if you're visiting with us, we'd like you to understand how we believe God has created us as a faith community and what we are about and where we're going. And so the first message in our series, I Love Rock Hills, was called Come As You Are. And I can really relate to that. Adam taught that message, and it it contrasted it with come if you are. You see, I was an atheist 27 years ago. I had a lot of issues in my life, and I went to one church, and I just felt very condemned, very judged. And Then I found a faith community where despite all that was going on in my life, I felt like they were extending me grace and and allowing me to, to go on the journey with them without judgment. And that's the kind of faith community that I want to be part of, and I believe Rock Hills is. So come as you are, not come if you are, not come if you're already cleaned up and and spick and span and have your life together. And the second message in the series was connect. We believe that the scripture says that God says that we're to do life in a faith community, that we're supposed to be with a group of people as we go on the journey. And so last week, Adam taught about connecting. And today, we're talking about being different. That's been a core value at Rock Hills from the beginning, and and it's sort of a play on words, okay? Again, you go into some churches, and I'm not being critical. People tend to, to group around with people that are like them. You go into some churches, most people look very, very similar. Most people act very, very similar. And we wanted to be a faith community where you could be different, where you could Dress as God, you know, put it on your heart to dress, where you could be the person, your personality that God designed you to be. But it's a play on words because we believe that when you journey with a group of Christians, you will end up being different, end up changing. And so I want to make sure you understand we're not doing a bait and switch. We're not saying, come as you are, but now we're going to force you to change. That isn't, that isn't what we're talking about. When we say be different, we're just recognizing the human impulse to want to grow for positive change. And so throughout this message, when I say change, what I'm really talking about is that growth, that positive change that we are all looking for. Not that we're going to try to conform you into some set of rules, some legalistic idea of what we believe a Christian is. And so today we will be talking about change. And what 
what I see as I go through Scripture gives me a sort of a broad outline. Change is very complex. You cannot reduce change to a formula. It's impossible. So what I did is I decided to reduce change to a formula. I really did. But just understand that I'm not that simplistic. I did come up with a formula. Just it's sort of an acrostic to help you grasp some of the principles that the Bible has that lead to change. So it's the formula for change. The formula for change. And what that's really doing is I'm taking the, an acronym. Time plus habits plus encouragement equal change. So the T, the H, and the E equal change. And those are going to be my three points for today. So the first one is time. You see, change is difficult. And one of the many reasons why it's difficult is because it takes time. In the 60s, they, was really when they first started looking into change and, and neuropathways and other things like that very deeply. And, and the original research seemed to indicate you could change in like 21 days. Well, They've come to understand over the years of, of studying this that it's much more complex than that. Some change takes years. But generally speaking, there seems to be a sweet spot for most changes that people are looking to do for about 60 to 90 days. And most people have a difficult time trying to keep up some program for 60 or 90 days without falling off the wagon. That's why... Again, at Gallup Research, that there's tens of millions of people who do New Year's resolutions. And by mid-March, over 90% of those people have already failed and given up. So you can see that change is extremely difficult because it takes time. But I have a word of encouragement for you if you are a follower of Jesus. And that is you are not alone in this journey toward change. What the consistent testimony of the Bible is, is that if you put your faith in Jesus, if you get reconnected with God, the Holy Spirit, one of the persons of the Trinity, comes and indwells you. The God of the universe lives within you. And one of the things that God promises is that that Holy Spirit will energize and empower change over your lifetime. And so this is really the gospel, isn't it? Because what the Bible says, what history tells us as recorded in Genesis, is there was a time when we were in perfect community with God. God was with us. God was constantly empowering us because we were connected with him. But then at some point, Adam and Eve rebelled. They disobeyed, and there was this catastrophic breach between the people of God and the God of the universe. And The scripture says we were cast out of the garden. And we literally were on our own. But God, because he loved us, he began the initiative to reconcile himself to us. And so he came down in the form of Jesus, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins. And what the Bible tells us is if we put our faith in that payment, the debt that Jesus paid for us, then our relationship with our Father in heaven is restored. I love the way the book of John puts this in the chapter chapter 1. It says, For all who received him, for all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And if you've never done that, 
why not restore your relationship with your true father? It, it would be the most amazing thing you could ever do. And if, if you decide to do that, come talk to Pastor Adam or me, and we'd love to just celebrate that with you. And the other thing that happens if you do that is the power of the living God will come inside you and will empower this change. Now, I want you to understand something. Even though the Holy Spirit resides in us and will empower that change, God beckons us. God instructs us to be a part of that change. And there there seems to be this mysterious interaction between the power of God and our own commitment to being part of the change. And it's it's put out there. It's it's stated several different ways throughout Scripture. One of my favorite ways it's stated is in Philippians 2, 12, and 13. And again, this is Paul talking. And he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now look at that. Which is it? Do I work my tail off to to work out my salvation, or is it God who works in me to fulfill his good purpose? Which is it? Yes. (laughs) It's it's both. It's this mysterious interaction that we'll never fully understand. But God's commitment is that he will stay with us throughout this long journey, that he won't stop, but we should participate. And this change takes time. So 27 years ago, after years of being an atheist, my life was just in in disarray. Those were very dark years Anything you can think of, drinking, drugs, sleeping around, whatever it was I was doing, any kind of immorality, any kind of sin, any, any kind of low character, that's what I was doing. And those were such dark and painful years. In today's vernacular, I was a hot mess, okay? And now I've been on the journey for 27 years as a Christian with every fiber of my being, trying my best to participate with God in changing and becoming a man of character and integrity. And after 27 years, I'm no longer a hot mess. I'm kind of a lukewarm mess. But but if you talk to Jan, she will tell you that's a tremendous difference. I'm a different person. At least she can tolerate me now most days. And it's one of the most joyful journeys I've been on. It is so satisfying to see that growth and change. I can't tell you. It's the most satisfying part of my life. You know, not only was I a bad husband, but I was a terrible father. You know, my daughter is here today. She lives here in San Antonio and happens to be her birthday. Happy birthday, sweetie. Um, she is now three years old. Um, I know she would want me to say that. But because of her fit commitment to Christ and her faith commitment, she persevered and energized our relationship, staying together and being restored. And, and I've said this to her before and to Jan before, but I, I, I want you to understand this. My commitment to them, even though I've been on the journey 27 years, is I will never, ever stop trying to be a better father and a better husband until I take my last breath on this earth. 
for two reasons. Number one, because the Holy Spirit is empowering that. But number two, because it's the most satisfying thing I've ever done to get up and, and see the, the gratitude and the respect in my daughter's eyes and my wife's eyes is the greatest you know, repayment I can ever have and the most satisfying and fulfilling thing on this journey. And, you know, a nicer car, uh, a few more dollars from work, that can't compare to the way that feels. Now, if that resonates with you, if that stirs something in you, why not go with us on this journey of life? We know it's going to take time, but I promise you it'll be worth it. Second point today is in order to get this change, we have to change our habits. You see, Socrates, great philosopher, said, a person is the sum total of their habits. And if you think about it, again, research has, has demonstrated that up to 80 or 90% of what we do during the course of the day, we do as a matter of routine or habit. Just think about your own life. You get up, chances are, you know, you go up, make your coffee the same way, put the same amount of cream and sugar in it, you get dressed, you, you have the same routine in the morning of how you shave or get ready and do your hair. Get, on, get in your car, you drive the same route to, to work, get to work, you, first thing you do is the same, open your emails or whatever it is. So much of our life, come home, watch the same shows on television, and there's nothing wrong with that. Be, because of the nature of the human condition, we have to have a lot of routine, otherwise we get overwhelmed. But my point is, it's a failing proposition to try to make change without dealing with those habits. And what the scripture says is so true. And I experienced that myself. So I've become a Christian now. I realize that I have short temper. I have anger issues. I'm critical. I'm negative. I'm depressed. I'm not, not a very pleasant person to be around. And I become a Christian. I say, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to stop being that way. Well, guess what? That didn't work very well. And as I began to read the Bible, I began to see that it talked about changing the way my mind works. And this is a famous verse out of uh, Romans 12, chapter 2. And it says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will It is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you get that? Don't conform to the world any longer. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there seems to be this mind thing that God is calling us to. In another verse, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 5, 16 through 18. Really, please memorize this verse. It will change your life. These three verses. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for God. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes somebody will come up to me and say, oh, I'm really trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. I'll say, well, I know what it is. <laughs> Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And I promise you, if you do that, it will change your life. And let me explain why that is. So I would go to work, new Christian. And I grew up, by the way, in a very abusive home. My father was an alcoholic, used to beat the tar out of me, as they say in Texas. Um, he was a Navy war veteran, very angry guy, um, and just always critical. I could never do anything right. Well, I grow up, and I'm, I'm working at my law office, and that's like I, I make a little mistake. Oh, you idiot, how could you, do, how could you be so stupid? 
And then I do something else. Oh, you're such a loser. You're never going to make it in this world. And, and, you know, I have 20 people working at my law firm. And it's like all I could think about was the negative things they were doing all the time. So constant negativity, constantly. Even though my law firm was prospering and we were doing well, all I could think about were the mistakes and getting frustrated and angry. And then I'd come home, and, and Jan is one of the most positive, amazing people you ever met. Her list of positive qualities is so long, but like everybody else, she has a couple little quirks about her, and one of them is she's, she's so active, and she's sort of ADHD, and she's always doing a bunch of things, and she works in the garden and, and takes our dogs out, and occasionally she leaves the door open, which doesn't work well for me because if there's a mosquito within three miles, it gets me, so the mosquitoes come in, and I get bit. So I come in after a day of work. I'm a Christian, and I'm going to be nice, and I'm all frustrated, and I come in, and the door's open. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And for the next 15 minutes, she's out walking the dogs. It's like, after all I do for her, I ask so little of her, just shut the door. But no, she can't do that. She's so inconsiderate. She doesn't love me. She doesn't care for me. Now, how do you think I was feeling when she walked in that door 15 minutes later? I just blew up. But that was an important moment for me. Because I realized that I wasn't practicing new habits in my mind. And so the next time that happened, the next time she did that little thing that irritated me, I let that flash of anger be a trigger for me. I said, no. And for the next 10 minutes, I literally sat down and said, if there's anybody who's for me and not against me, it's Jan. If there's anybody who encourages me and stands by me, it's Jan. She does more for me than any person on this earth. I can count on her more than any person on this earth. At the end of those 10 minutes, I was so in love, I got up and I gave her a big kiss. And she was like, what's going on? You know. But that's the power of changing the habits of your brain. It's so critical to this journey to change habits. And the Bible tells us to start with the mind. But it also tells us to change our schedule, too, folks. You see, we are embodied creatures, and that means what we do, how we spend our time, where we go with our bodies makes a big difference. And you need to change the habits of where you go and where you spend your time. And one of the great you know, examples of this is my great friends Ryan and Corey Carroll. If you know the Carrolls, they're an incredible couple. They are both high-achieving people. Eight, nine years ago, they were on the fast track. Corey is making her way, rocketing up the educational establishment. Don't be surprised if she's the superintendent of San Antonio schools one of these days. Ryan was starting his own IT firm, and that was blowing up. And they were on the fast track, but in different directions. And they would have said they were Christians. And it got to the point, they were going so fast in different directions that one night they found themselves sitting on their bed wondering if that was going to be the end of their marriage. And in tears, they had to make a decision. Are we just going to go our separate ways? Or are we going to change something? And they changed the habits of their schedule. And so they got up in the morning. They started reading the Bible together. They started coming to church every Sunday. They got involved with Bible studies. They started Bible studies. I mean, they were leading groups. They were doing everything you can imagine. Ryan's been an elder at the church. Corey's on the worship team. They're some of the best friends Jan and I have ever had. 
And they would say today, seven years later, that they have a marriage that they wish for anybody out there. But what it took was a changing of their schedule, the habits of how they spent their time. So that's how you change as far as habits go. The final letter in that acrostic is encouragement. We all need encouragement. You see, what psychologists and, and others have has understood is that it's hard to change on your own. It's much easier to change in a group. And if you look at, you know, the, the Christian church has probably had the most amazing testimonies of life change in, in the history of the world. But there have been other groups that have been pretty successful. AA has been around since 1935. Many of you know the pillars of AA. One is you commit that and you put yourself under the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's the way it started. Now it's a higher power. You you submit yourself to a higher power. But the next thing you do is you start going to meetings. So someone new to AA is encouraged to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And most of them do. And, And then many people end up going to meetings weekly for the rest of their life. Why do they do that? Because there's encouragement, there's strength that comes from other people. You see the same thing in CrossFit or Weight Watchers or any group. What they're doing is they're realizing there's strength and encouragement with people. Even the Native Americans have a saying that I, that I really love. And it says, the strength of the wolf comes from the pack. The strength of the pack comes from the wolf. It's this, again, this mysterious synergy, this interaction that the individual is strengthened by the group and the group is strengthened by the individual. And that's because we need encouragement on the journey. And, and so the, the scripture exhorts us, instructs us, and Hebrews 10 says this. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Look, look at that verse. Just, just look at how it goes. Let's not give up meeting together. You see, you have to change your schedule. You have to, you have to be around the people of God. Let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's encourage one another. You know, psychologists don't fully understand why people change more effectively in groups? Well, I can tell them it's, it's laid out right in Genesis chapter 2. It's before the fall. God has created Adam. Up until that point, everything has been good. The creation of the world, the creations of the heavens and the earth, the creation of the garden, creation of Adam. Everything is good. Then in Genesis 2.18, God says this. Adam, it's not good that you should be See, the God of the universe, able to make us any way he wanted, made us with a need for community. I'm convinced he did that because the God of the universe, the one God, is a triune God. One God existing as the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And God knows the joy and the satisfaction of being in community, have always, of, of have always having been in community since the beginning of time until the end of time. And so he ordained that we would be doing life in community. And the wisest man in the world, Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, goes on with this. And in chapter 4, he says, two are better than one. Because they have a better return for their labor. 
Two are better than one because if someone falls, his friend can help him up. Two are better than one because if they're attacked, they can fend off the attack more effectively. And those are all the things that happen when you do life in community. You get encouraged, you get strengthened, and you're able to do life in a more effective way. You know, there's all kinds of stories of life change and uh, the testimonies among the Christian churches is, I mean, just read some. It, it really is stirring and encouraging. But one of the, the most memorable for me personally happened in Houston years ago. Um, I was leading a Bible study, and one of the guys in my Bible study said, Al, I've got a friend, and looking like his marriage is not going to make it, and would you be willing to meet with him? I said, Sure. So set up a lunch, sit down with this guy named Jim Davis, great big, you know, hulk of a man. Turns out he was an uh, army ranger. He had just gotten out of the service a few years earlier, done a tour of duty in Iraq. And if you don't know, the rangers are the special forces of the army. They're like the Navy SEALs. And this guy was just a tough son of a gun. You know, and he said he was a Christian and just this strong, silent type. So we're meeting there at lunch, and I said, well, Jim, how's it going? He said, well, um, my wife is as cold as ice and doesn't really want to talk to me. I think she wants a divorce. My daughter, my 16-year-old daughter, Jennifer, she's gone goth. She says she wears this white pancake makeup and black clothes, and she's cutting herself. My son is, you know... 14, and he's not doing that great, but other than that, things are wonderful in my life. I said, man, I'm really sorry. I said, do you, do you think things can change? What, what's your game plan? That's the first thing I said. What, what's your plan? He said, well, I don't, I don't really have a plan. <laughs> what do you do with that? I said, well, do you think things can change? You're a Christian. You're a Christian man. Well, I'm a Christian. I haven't really been going to church or anything and never brought my family to church really and I said well do you think God can change this he goes I don't know he said my wife you know she's a real witch except he didn't say witch he said she won't talk to me she doesn't smile my daughter's seeing a counselor for the cutting but doesn't seem to be getting any progress there I said well Jim what about you he goes well I don't think I can change. I am who I am. He said, I'm not the brightest guy, not the you know, brightest light on the porch, but you know, I'm a hard worker. I go to, my, go to the oil company. I put in a hard day's work. You know, I bring home a paycheck. I provide a good life. I have a roof over everybody's head and a good provider. He said, I don't see why that makes me such a bad guy. I said, well, Jim, maybe your family needs something more than a paycheck and a roof over your head. So why don't you do this? Were you willing to come to my Bible study? And he said, okay, I'll do that. So he started coming to the Bible study. And, of course, during the course of Bible study, you run across verses like, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Run across scripture like, fathers, don't exasperate your children. And during the course of that, generally speaking, oftentimes at the end of the Bible study, Jim and I would sit there and talk and just what's going on and his family, and at first it was, it was all negative. And, and, and all of us were trying to encourage him. There didn't seem to be any progress. Then one day we're talking after Bible study, 
I said, how's it going? He goes, well, you've been telling me to encourage Sarah, but I don't really know how to do that. But I've been praying. And then, you know, I get up real early before, before the sun comes up to get, to tr- get to work really early. And I go to the dresser and I get out my socks and I'm sitting on the bed getting dressed and something occurred to me. And I said, I, I thought Sarah was probably awake. I wasn't sure, but I just said, you know, We've been married for 17 years. And in that dresser, there's been a magic drawer. For 17 years, every time I go to that magic drawer, there's clean socks. And I can't tell you how grateful I am for that. I said, well, how'd that go? (laughs) And he was like, well, I I don't know. but when I started to leave that morning, go out the bedroom door, I think she was crying. And that night, when I got home, she smiled at me. So fast forward probably a couple of months. And we're sitting again after Bible study, and how's it going? Well, the other night, you know, Sarah always goes out for a walk after dinner, and I thought, well, maybe I should go with her. And so he we went for a walk, and he said, you know what? That was the best talk we've had in years. And so there seemed to be just a little progress there. And then I started to say, well, what about Jennifer, your daughter? Oh, man. I tried saying something nice to her the other day. She was in the hallway, and I just looked at her, and I said, hey, you look really pretty today. And she just glared at me and went into her room. And I said, well, maybe since you're having trouble talking, why don't you try just leaving some notes? And so for several weeks, he did that. You just leave a little note. I'm praying for you to have a great day today. Just know I love you and I'm proud to be your dad. Little notes, I believe in you. And that went on. Again, fast forward a couple of months. And one day he comes into Bible study and we're sitting there after Bible study. So, well, how's it going with Jennifer? And this big, tough army ranger tears up and tears start coming down his cheek. He said, I got home last night. She came to the table. She had regular clothes on, and she dyed her hair back to light, blonde, light brown. And she looked at me and she said, hey, Daddy, how was your day? He said, I have my daughter back. Well, a couple of months later, Jim was being transferred by his oil company to another city. And he calls me up on a Saturday, and he says, Al, any chance we could meet? Family wants to meet with you after church. Would you be willing to do that? I said, sure. So that's Sunday after church. I'm there at the meeting place, and they come walking up, and the four of them together. And Jennifer, the daughter, steps up first, and she's got something behind her back. And she's smiling, and she hands me a family picture, a portrait that the family had taken together. And they all just looked radiant and happy. And I just looked at Jennifer, and I was just... I felt so much joy. I said, Jennifer, I I guess things are going better with your dad, huh? And you know, she never answered me. But I think the answer was yes. Because the first thing she did was she swallowed really hard. Then her face went like this. Then she went. (laughs) And she gave me a big hug. And then she... She turned around. 
I still remember this. She turned around with her mom and dad, and they walked off together. Folks, that was a miracle, a miracle of God. But it wasn't the kind of miracle that happens when you just wave a magic wand. It's the kind of miracle that takes time. It took Jim changing his habits. It took the encouragement from the men of the Bible study and from the people at church. And you know what? That is the kind of miracle that God is in the business of doing. That's the kind of miracle we see here at Rock Hills on a regular basis. And if you want to be a part of that, if you want that to be part of your life's journey, then why not consider connecting with Rock Hills? Let's pray. Father, I am really grateful for the miracle you've done in my life. The greatest proof of your existence that I can ever imagine. But I'm also grateful for the miracles you do in other people's lives. For the Ryan and Corey's of the world. For the Jim Davis's of the world. And for so many other stories that are being written here at Rock Hills. And Father, we, we just... We're just in awe of you. We're grateful to you. My prayer for the people of Rock Hills is that they see the vision of where we are going and who we want to be, and they decide they want to be a part of that and see the miracles that you will do in the years to come here at Rock Hills. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.